afternoon. Hello, may I speak to Dr. Christopher Rapley, please? Yeah, you're speaking to uh, Chris, yeah. Hello, this is Jay Michaels, all the way from America. If you're on the line, then I, if I'm on the line, then you're on the air. <laughs> okay, fine. Uh, nice to meet you, Jay. Nice to meet you. This is all about the, the play of which you co-authored, uh, 2071, the, the World We Leave Our Grandchildren. Uh, yeah. ha- have I gotten you at a good time? I know you have a very tight window uh, today. No, that's okay. That's Excellent. Fine. Excellent. Uh, you are to be commended. It is rare that on my theatrical podcast I am speaking to an eminent, uh, to an eminent scientist. Uh, but, but you have decided to transcend uh, one form of communication to another. Why have you decided to make this a play? What, uh, what prompted you to turn this cautionary tale into a play? Well, um, I've, I've been interested in communicating science for a long time, and I, I've been for the last four or five years working with neuroscientists and narrative specialists and marketeers and psychosociologists uh, trying to ask the question, well, how come when you tell the story of climate change, uh, it's so uh, polarizing, it's so um, you get such a strong pushback? And we realized that um, scientists aren't usually uh, or indeed trained to deliver emotionally charged or ideologically charged messages. You know, we're usually telling people about, I don't know, the origins of the universe or or something like that that is emotionally and ideologically um, neutral. So uh, you need to take a different approach. You need to manage the the emotions and the reactions of your audience. And you also need to figure out, um, you know, what it is you want them to do rather than what it is you want them to know. Um, And uh, that sort of thinking combined with a couple of uh, experiences where some quite dogged climate skeptics, um, you know, the type, uh, you you know, kind of middle industry managers who've decided they're so smart that uh, they're not going to (laughs) be taken in by this stuff, um, suddenly got flipped over um, by an experience not not by me giving a lecture to them, but by them being, actually it's when I used to run British Antarctic Survey, when they were at, you know, this, uh, well, sort of 10 degrees, um, uh, uh, you know, below normal in, mm-hmm. in the ice core storeroom. You know, so they're feeling cold. They're in a kind of vaulted place, a bit cathedral-like. Um, they're holding a piece of ice that's probably twice the age of the human race, listening to the bubbles popping and so on. Very theatrical, uh, experiential um, uh, moment for them, and that caused them to flip over. So it struck me, well, do you know what? Um, The best place to tell this story then, if you're trying to get to the heart rather than the head, uh, is in a theatre. And the only way that a climate scientist is going to do that um, with any hope of uh, doing anything very professional is to work with some really professionals. So uh, through a, a mutual acquaintance, I got introduced, first of all, to the theatre director, Katie Mitchell, who is quite a phenomenon, amazing lady. And she introduced me to Duncan McMillan. Uh-huh. And Duncan and I really, really hit it off. And then we spent uh, something like seven months uh, meeting once a week to talk through climate science and to turn that into a script and then into a performance. 
So, so you you employed a, a for, for lack of a better term, the theatrical professional to 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 guide you as you guided him in terms of the information. He then helped formulate it into into the palatable piece for the stage. Well, we I didn't employ him. Um, oh, well. Katie got the Katie got the royal court to uh, commission us uh, to write and perform the play, um, and and that was the that was the point that the three of us brought our own skills to the table and it was really a three-way equal contribution you know katie well duncan and i duncan turned my scientific narrative into something that could be performed that has a simple thread through it and has a narrative arc and uh, and satisfies a degree of poetic delivery um katie turned that into a theatrical experience well she brought <laughs> along her team of creatives, you know, the people who did the graphics and the soundtrack and uh, all of the other stuff that were wrapped around it. And um, and so really the three of us uh, created this thing and none of us could have done it on our own. Do you think it's the theatricality that makes it more uh, uh, digestible to an audience? you think the fact they're looking at a, a character, if you will, telling this story, that they're able to, to immerse it, they, they open their mind more looking at it through through the lens of a character? Well, well, there are, there are two points. Uh, f- firstly, um, you know, the audience has made a contract. They, they, they've bought a ticket and they've committed themselves to performance. So, so they've made a commitment that um, means that they've got a stake in it. So, you know, they, they, they don't want to be disappointed. So they're hoping to have a different theatrical kind of experience than if they came to a lecture or if they ran into me somewhere and, uh, you know, we talked this stuff through. But the second thing is that um, what was really important from a scientist's uh, point of view, is that um, the deal was this. It was me sitting on a chair um, delivering a kind of fireside chat, you know, a little bit of a story about me, about how I got into this stuff, you know, how I got uh, uh, convinced that uh, climate change is real, driven by us, dangerous, and that we need to do something about it, you know, backed up a bit with some of the IPCC stuff and not too much of that, Mm -hmm. and then a kind of message of hope based on the... um, kind of technocratic principle of, well, you know, a green technology will help us get a lot of the way, it won't help us get the whole way, and then some reflection on the ethics and the morals and the intergenerational justice and so on. So this is me operating in what we call the informed citizen mode, not in the professional scientist mode. Mm-hmm. So the deal is, you know, if, if the audience want to come and listen to me give a formal lecture with all of the bells and whistles and the caveats and the graphs and the, you know, equations and so on, they can come, but that's not what the play is about. The play is about me as an informed citizen, somebody who knows about this stuff because I've been immersed in it for 30, 40 years, oh, um, telling them what I think. You know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a person. I live in a free country still, just about. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> um, and you too. Indeed. Um, but <laughs> but uh, and so I'm entitled to express opinions and emotions beyond what I can do uh, cloaked as a scientist, you know, scientists are, are, are required and require themselves to have certain norms and um, uh, ways of delivering information. Uh, and this was me, me with my white coat off, if you like. Hello. Yeah, you still there? Oh, yeah, I lost you for about eight seconds worth. Oh, okay. Sorry. Uh, so, did did you hear the tail end? This is me with my white coat off. That's that's where I ended. Yes. <laughs> Okay, fine. Um, so, yes, go on. Yeah. 
Ne- ne- well, next question. <laughs> um, basically, this is free flow. When I when I when I hear you speak, it, it sparks things in me. You it, you set a contract with the audience. It's very interesting. I've 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 been I've been in the arts probably as long as you have been studying climate change. But sometimes even, there are moments where I'll I'll have an aha moment. And yes, that's exactly what any performance is. It's a contract with the audience. So they're walking in more open minded. You're right than at a lecture or a class or anything like that. So that was that's an excellent bit of strategy you're using. Uh, someone had once mentioned about how Michael Grunwald wrote a, a very concise biography of Richard III, but nobody reads it. We all go see Shakespeare's play, and that's what yeah. we consider as fact. Um, exactly. Uh, do you um, – how did you in, – in terms of this play, uh, uh, without giving anything away, if you will, uh, are, you, are you giving a message of hope? Or, or an, or else, is this a cautionary tale? This is what's going to happen, or is it? If you do this, then it won't happen. Are you giving us the the message of hope it, in it, this? It, 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 well, remember, this was written uh, five years ago now, so we were we were heading towards um, the Paris uh, COP twenty one conference of the parties, right? And so we 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 didn't know what was going to happen, um, but we hoped that the uh, after thirty years of faffing about. Um, the the nations of the world would stop arguing about should we do something and agree, uh, yeah, we have got to do something, let's, so let's talk about what it is we've got to do. And, of course, that actually happened, um, but it happened a year later. So at that stage, you know, you have to wind back to that point where we didn't really know what was um, what the outcome was going to be. And so it was, uh, it was a call to action, really. It was... Um, we asked ourselves, uh, Duncan and myself, you know, what do we want the audience to do? What, what, what are we trying to do? Are we, are we trying to make them so angry that if we left a pile of bricks by the door as they as they left the theatre, they'd each pick one up and go and kind of hurl it at something? <laughs> um, and we thought, and we thought, no, we're we're, we're not trying to start a rebellion. Um, but what we are trying to do is get a conversation going. That the uh, after all the audience is the kind of West End theatre-going intelligentsia. Most of them uh, are going to be kind of on side about climate change. There are not going to be many um, out-and-out climate skeptics who'll pay you know the ticket to go and listen to me uh, talk for an hour a bit about climate change. So most right. people are going, and, and you go, well, why are they going? Well, they're going to kind of reassure themselves and learn something because we knew that people in that position, the sort of concerned, uh, the worried. Um, were, were not engaging when the kind of loudmouth started up in the bar about how, you know, they just looked at the latest climate skeptic website or read the latest, um, you know, gutter press uh, mm-hmm. uh, article saying it's the sun or, you know, it's a natural cycle or whatever. And we knew that people weren't standing up and engaging, and it was completely understandable because usually the loudmouths have done a bit more um, due diligence and, you know, looked up a few things than the ordinary person. So, they know instinctively that to engage and lose publicly, you know, in a bar or wherever, is worse than just staying silent. So what we were trying to do was say, look, you know, here's here, you know, here's a very simple, digestible uh, uh, set of arguments, evidence, and so on that shows you why I came to these conclusions, and it's delivered in a way that's palatable enough that they can remember it, or even if they can't remember it, they they're happy and confident that it's it all fits together and that it's a solid set of uh, arguments. So what we wanted them to do was then go off and engage and hold that conversation over the year leading up to Paris. And although we didn't do a proper, you know, rigorous academic longitudinal study, 
Um, what we did do, I used to pop into the bar after each performance and, you know, chat to the people, the, the audience that were there. And that was the message that we got back then. And, and I've had it from, you know, people who talked to me that, you know, they were, they were in the audience. They've seen me since. They said that what was interesting, that the, the age group was kind of 30s, 40s. They tended to go um, in small groups of friends or colleagues. Um, and, and it did that. They, they walked out of there much more determined to have a proper conversation about it and, uh, and to defend the fact that there is an issue that needs to be dealt with. And interestingly, what we didn't expect or what I hadn't anticipated was that often those groups would invite along somebody that they knew was mildly skeptical, not not madly skeptical. Because that's know, really them. interesting. Um, and and so they would bring along, you know, Fred, who they knew was kind of dubious about it, and had been saying, "Oh, I don't think it's a problem." And it seems that we converted a whole bunch of Freds. They they came along, the the theatrical ambience being with 450 other people who paid attention and took it seriously, actually shifted people. And, and often when you do that, that, that individual is more resolute about their new opinion than somebody who was kind of on the way uh, previously. So we know we did that, um, but I, I performed it. Uh, we did two runs at the Royal Court. I did a run at the Deutsche Schauspielhaus in Hamburg, where, where the translation was kind of ticker taped across oh, the proscenium. Okay. That, but, that, that was going to be my question. How did it translate? <laughs> well, but you know what? Most Germans speak English pretty well anyway. But, that is you true. Know, most educated Germans, most theatre-going Germans. So I think that they didn't really need that. But um, And then I did one performance in Brussels that the European Climate Foundation uh, paid for the set and the crew and me to go across. We did one performance in Brussels in the June of 2015, and it was an invited audience only, 450 people from the, um, the European Parliament, uh, the European Commission, and from the kind of uh, what we call the Brussels bubble, the, you know, the administration of, uh, there are lots of institutes and so on out there. Mm -hmm. And it got an absolute standing ovation. We, we took 150 copies of the book, of the script, and they just all went. Um, and it, 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 it was seen as a really uh, kind of... Um, quirky thing you know there's this as you say there's this scientist who comes and gives this theater performance and it got a conversation going exactly uh, sort of five and a half months before the european union and all the other nations of the world um uh, decided uh, to take climate change seriously and do something about it and the feedback i had was that it caused a lot of discussion just at the right moment um, That's excellent. And, and, and kind of move things along so that was pretty good. I, I should say that the um, that Michael Billington, the theatre critic, uh, London theatre critic, who's seen as the kind of, uh, you know, uh, the, the platinum decider of what's good and what isn't in London theatre land. The equivalent of a Ben Brantley for the New York Times here. Exactly. So okay. he, he, he gave us, yeah, the, he, so he's the Observer Guardian critic. He gave us a five star and later on, he gave us, he put us uh, uh, number four in his top ten of 2014 plays. Absolutely so, wonderful. So, so we, we got pretty good reviews. One guy absolutely hated it. Uh, I think he felt, you know, he couldn't understand why the hallowed boards of the Royal Court had been handed over to this strange, <laughs> strange <laughs> academic who sat there mumbling about climate change for an hour and a quarter. So he, he really didn't like it, <laughs> but everybody else got you it. you got to get one or two, please. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs>
So this is wonderful. So, so you feel you were a success in each venue thus far, that, that you, you've gotten the conversation yeah. going, a change of thought, a call to action that, that, that people cared. Um, now it's all the way over here in America at a very pivotal point here, a very pivotal point here. Um, how do you think it's going to do? I, I, I'm absolutely fascinated <laughs> to find out. Oh, I, I don't know. <laughs> um, it, it, it'll, it'll be it'll, it'll be really really interesting. Uh, the, the, it's, it was uh, we, we licensed the run. There was a company uh, ran it in Sydney um, a year and a half ago, and mm-hmm. uh, that that seemed to go well. Despite I, I, it's very difficult, I think, for a company to do it. Um, because it's uh, the way we, well, the way I performed it, the way Katie um, arranged it, was it was very anti-dramatic. Um, uh, it was it was very much it it, it carried itself because it was me, uh, and it was me giving people my story. And and I, you know I wasn't even allowed to get up and walk around, so there was no drama other than me occasionally stopping and sipping from a glass of water. <laughs> So it's it's quite hard for other companies to deliver it, and and uh, in Australia they they um, adapted it a little. They they had children involved because of the intergenerational ethic part, you know, element of the of the narrative. The the tw- the, the choice of 2071 was quite deliberate because that's the year that my eldest granddaughter will be the age that I was when I wrote the play. So really? you know, I can imagine her, you, you know, what, what world will we have, you know, what legacy will we have left her? She'll still be breathing air that's got molecules of carbon dioxide in that we generated in delivering the play. So, so that intergenerational justice was a big element of the, of the story. And, uh, and so the Australians decided to kind of emphasize that by bringing children in. I really don't know um, how it's going to be performed in New York. I should be fascinated to hear and uh, and see whether it comes off. Uh, it, it, it's it'll be as I say, it'll be fascinating. I'm 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 impressed at that thought because that seems to be a knee jerk reaction. Everyone seems to think, how old? Uh, I'm now the age my parents were when, and then something or or so many of us with children will say, okay, when my daughter, when my son is this age, when my granddaughter, my grandson is this age. So you pick something that everyone immediately can relate to. Uh, you, and, it, and, it, and, and it. It, it links into the play as well because uh, it, in the play I tell uh, that when I was 10 years old, um, that was 1957-58, and you, you may not remember, but the, the International Geophysical Year of 57-58 was a really big thing. Uh, it, it's unusual for science to get such coverage in the media, but I guess it was you know post-war uh, things were still um, you know fairly bleak. And somehow progress, technological and scientific progress, was something that people were interested in. And, of course, it was a challenge in the Cold War. The Russians and, you, you know, you guys, the Americans, were kind of competing against each other. And so, you know, Sputnik was launched and the um, Antarctic was explored. So, so uh, Even artistically old, speaking, that was, that was a major time uh, in Broadway history in terms of musicals. That was a major time in terms of film. Film itself changed its whole look around that time. So, so yes, that, uh, it, it, one might look at it as an enlightenment as well. So, yes, it was an excellent time. Exactly. So, so all of that was happening when I was 10 years old. And as we were writing the play and heading towards um, uh, Paris, my eldest granddaughter, Josie, was 10 years old. 
Mm-hmm. And and so so you know there she was uh, and you know there she will be we hope in in 2071 certainly uh, you know what what will she experience and and is it fair that we should leave her and all future generations a badly damaged planet no it isn't it it, it can't be fair so how much are we prepared to uh, take make an effort to ensure that we don't do that that that's really the underlying ethical message in the play so so one might not say uh, you know a ray of hope so much as get up off your chair and do something or, or exactly. else exactly good, and, good and, for you. and and good and for don't you. give up because the, the, the green techno the green the green technology stuff is uh, is going to make a big difference but it's not going to be enough we're going to have to do much more than that so that's why you need the two it's it's interesting because where it's going to be done uh, in New York, you, uh, you you lucked out. Ripple Effect Artists is one of is, is a major player in terms of projects that have great consequences. They everything they do has a cause of some kind. So it's not just right. let's put on a play. Let's let's put on a, a let's let's put on a, a, a pivotal moment, if you will. So as much as you get that, and and there you get your your millennials, your twenty somethings who are who are involved because of how they grew up, their audience is usually, it, it, the foundation is obviously friends, family, and colleagues. So that could be any age from 20 to 70. Uh, yeah. Do, do you find a particular audience, a particular demographic adheres to it more than another? Do you find that, that millennials are more interested in hearing this or something like that? It, it was interesting. We, we, we uh, you know, I had um, people uh, in the audience uh, who, had, who were in their 70s I had two of them, you know, very senior people in the UK come up to me afterwards and say, do you know what, that was the best theatrical experience that I've ever had. So huh, it, actually, it, actually con- it actually connected with, uh, and then I had, you know, students, uh, you know, because I have students at UCL. So it, it seemed to connect with uh, a, a very wide demographic and a very wide uh, range of people. I, I mean, having said that, um, it, it, you know, it was theatre land. It was, to some extent, the usual suspects. Obviously, it was people. Uh, people bought tickets because of they course. were interested in climate change, who wouldn't normally go to right. that theatre. Um, but uh, no, it, it, it didn't seem to single out any particular age group, especially. You know, people appreciated it from one end to the other. And you know, and some people just didn't get it. I heard a, a lady. Um, and I, you know, she looked a bit like my mother. I heard her leaving saying, well, it wasn't really a play, was it? <laughs> you sort of go, well, no, it wasn't. Oh. It, was, it was a performance. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Oh. Uh, you always get them. Oh, my God, you, oh, you always get them. Well, this didn't look like Broadway. Oh, please stop. Um, uh, um, listen, let, let, let me just say one other thing. Uh, yes, sir. I, I think this, you, you, you asked me what, what, I, what I'm hoping for. Um, yes. I I I I haven't. I used to live. In, I lived in the states for a while, and and I, my research has. Well, I've worked with people from all around the world, but I've worked intensively with uh, American scientists all my life, and and you know, so I have some feelings for the American culture, and but but I've lost track a little bit. Watching what's happening from this side of the Atlantic um, is is very frightening, actually, and uh, and very mm-hmm. worrying. Yes. And and we we know that the polarization, uh, polit- particularly the political polarization about climate change, is still very strong. But but on the other hand, last year we think we detected a shift. 
um, you know, the fires in California, the floods, uh, you know, the planet is sending some very, very strong messages, you know, like, hey, guys, I'm on fire, you know, I'm going to soak you, uh, you really need to pay attention. And so the impression is that, that people there are um, paying a bit more attention to the climate change issue. And certainly over here in the UK and Europe, we've had the school strikes, you know, Greta Thunberg, this uh, wonderful young uh, Swedish schoolgirl has, has, you know, started this movement. We've had Extinction Rebellion uh, in the UK who've quite cleverly drawn attention to themselves through disruption, but without antagonizing hmm. too many people. They've been quite clever at the way they've done it. Right. And I worked with, I worked with the BBC uh, earlier this year on a BBC One program narrated by David Attenborough about climate change called Climate Change, the Facts. It should mm -hmm. be circulating through the States about now. And, and David Attenborough is a voice of real authority uh, with the British public, uh, very much a trusted figure. Oh, for and sure. So uh, the the fact that he delivered a very strong message that it's wake up time, all of these things have shifted uh, the dial, so that in in the UK, um, it, it, the politicians are actually beginning to fall over themselves to demonstrate how um, important climate change is and how important it is to do something about it. So we we've seen a shift, um, and so what what I would hope is that this you know one performance will just be part of. Uh, a series of forces and pressures, societal pressures, that will shift the dial in the same way in the States. We can hope so. You, you sort of answered uh, uh, another question I was going to have. What's the difference between you first did it and now? And and you brought up so many of these natural disasters. My, my wife likes to whimsically say that uh, the earth is shaking us off it. Uh, yes, and yes. And and so I, I think I think uh, uh, and it also brings up a, a thought I had in terms of American audiences. Uh, uh, we don't necessarily uh, we want it thrown in our face in some way. If something's going to happen to us, then we're going to learn about it. There, there are fires, there are floods, there is weather conditions, etc. We're in a scorcher right now, so I'm sure there's some people saying, you know, maybe there's something to it. So I th I think you're hitting us at a perfect time when politically. Uh, uh, we have our own wildfires and, yeah. and there are so many natural disasters and so many things that you can't say, oh no, that's just hogwash. It's, it's, it's not going to happen. So I, I think we're hitting it at a really powerful time and, and I congratulate you, know, you so much for doing it. Well, you know, the other thing is that, um, uh, it, it's fascinating, you know, watched from a distance. It's a real puzzle as to why, um, Republican politics has been so negative uh, about climate change. I mean, I understand, you know, neoliberalism, the oil companies, the coal companies. You know, there's a lot of vested uh, yeah. interest, uh, all, all of that stuff. But, but the, the 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 core Republican ethic is um, uh, patriotism, frugality. Um, you know, looking after yourself, defending yourself. Um, you know, maintaining uh, the nation and so on against adversity. So it's, it's, it's a real puzzle as to how it is that climate change got moved into this very negative position in Republican political thinking. And, and I, I can't help but feel that it's not a natural place for it to sit. And I think we're beginning to see it emerge um, so that, so that you know, it's, it's the sort of thing that, uh, you know, if you're a Christian and you believe that it's your job to be a steward of the planet, uh, you know, there are so many reasons why the period of the last decade has been, I think, an anomaly. 
And so hopefully, you know, and, and what we know is once the United States decides it's going to do something, you know, like put a man on the moon is very topical, um, it gets up and does it. So I'm kind of hoping that this one tiny little voice from the play will be part of a movement that, that shifts the United States into really taking this seriously and doing something fantastic about it. So we can hope. I'd, I'd, I think uh, part of what you're saying now, I, I, I understand in terms of what you're saying about uh, the, the Republican culture. And I think uh, now that capitalism is starting to, to look a little uh, uh, over the top, if you will, uh, I, I think I think people might be able to shift their look. You know, the, the almighty dollar is not looking almighty that much. And I, I think yeah. people might take a moment and say, wait a minute, what am I ignoring when I'm so busy voting for the people who said they're going to make me money? So I, well, I, the, 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 the other thing is that, that Republicans are natural. I mean, I know they hunt, but they're natural, you know, defenders of the environment. They engage <laughs> with the environment. So, yes, they once so, were. Yes. yes. <laughs> well, well, OK. I guess everybody's very urban now, and that's and that's part of the problem. Um, but it, but it does seem to me that there's, um, you know, there's money to be made in, in, in green technology. There's lots of reasons why. Completely. Uh, you know, it, it, the, the, the situation that that we've been through is so strange and hopefully uh, rapidly disappearing. I, I I hope so too, and I I certainly agree with you. One last question, because I know I know you're you're tight in terms of schedule. Here, yeah. Here's here's the fun question. So you were up on that stage, uh, essentially performing this work. Did you yeah. enjoy being an actor? I, it, it's, I have to say, I mean, I've given thousands of, of lectures in my life. Um, lectures is lectures, the, but when the curtain rises yeah, exactly. and there it you was, are. It was, it, it was one of the scariest things <laughs> I have ever done. And, and uh, let me say that the, when, I, when I met uh, Katie Mitchell, who's, who's an amazing person, we, we hit it off immediately. And within 10 or 15 minutes, she said to me, right, she said, are you up for this or not? You know, are you serious? Do you really, really want to do this? So I said, yes, absolutely. She said, right, we're going to do it then. So I said, well, look, the, the, the one condition is, you know, I, I am not an actor. I'm never going to be an actor. There's no way that anybody's <laughs> going to see me as an actor. So your job is to put me on that stage and get me to deliver a performance that works as me. And she said, right, that's exactly what we'll do. So, so that was a critical, you know, there was no pretense. I didn't stomp around in theatrical poses. I sat there and I was me, a scientist in this very strange position of giving people a, a, an hour and a quarter or hour and 10 minutes fireside chat about climate change and why I feel they really need to take it seriously. And that's what she crafted. That was the experience that she uh, created. And, uh, and it, it seemed to really work. Sir, you should be commended for that. It's, it's, I, so many scientists will make another book, will, will speak another lecture and whatever and say, why aren't they listening? You, you dove right out of the airplane into the people and you, you gave it to them in a brand new venue. Your, may your bravery be contagious and may we all feel it in our own way and change the world. Uh, well, <laughs> I, I hope so. Uh, it, I, it was, I guess one of the lasting memories is that I hadn't anticipated that I wouldn't be able to see the audience. The lights were so bright, all I could see was blackness. I could hear them, I could sense them, but I couldn't see them. And so that was a really weird thing, delivering this stuff 
uh, without being because in, in a lecture <laughs> you can see people, you can see oh, their course. reaction, you know whether you're engaging. But with this, you you, you just had to sense whether the audience was was with you, and and actually you could have heard a pin drop. Um, so you kind of knew what well, you, you thought either they've all gone <laughs> or, or this has really got them. <laughs> and and uh, it turned out they were still there at the end of the performance. So, so it obviously got to them. So, yeah, it was it was a, a scary, strange experience. But I have to say, in a perverse sort of way, I, I really enjoyed it. And and I did wear a yellow scarf to keep my throat in order, and my my daughters my daughters laughed their heads off when they saw me in, with my thespian attire. So. Brilliant. Well, of course, you you have to have something for your stage debut. Exactly. So, <laughs> Sir, thank you so much for speaking uh, with me on this. Uh, uh, you are to be commended for for doing this, for for allowing it to travel the world, and and I know that the company is going to do it justice, and may it totally change the world, so that by 2071 we're looking at this play going, "Wow, remember when things were like that?" Uh, <laughs> Absolutely. Indeed. Thank you again so well, much. Well, well, I, I, uh, please pass on my uh, my thanks and best wishes to the company because uh, I, I really hope that it works. Uh, oh, for, for sure. And for our sakes. And, I will and, make. Uh, I, I just regret that I won't be there. If, if you could let me have um, a uh, a link to the podcast you do uh, afterwards, I'd really appreciate it. I will make sure you have links to everything. I'll make sure our listeners know exactly where to see this and how they can make a difference uh, and to communicate all of these messages. Thank you so much. Great talking to you, Jay. Thank you. Same here. Ciao. Okay, bye-bye then. Ciao.